What a great week. And last Sunday, Easter Sunday, praise the Lord. Um, God, God is moving in mighty, mighty ways. Um, a little quick report for you. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, was the, the, the highest attended service we've had in about eight years as a congregation. And so, can we give the Lord honor for that? Now, as always, the numbers represent lives. Numbers represent lives, and lives matter to God. And so, so the reason I highlight that is to say God is, is allowing us as a church to have a greater impact. I also know this. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and he's like, well, you know, the week after Easter, the Sunday after Easter is usually the lowest attended service, right? And I felt my heart just kind of sinking, and I was like, oh, yeah, no. No, it's not about those numbers. Now, of course, we want to see you in church, and we want to see these churches filled with people who are getting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't think we can allow us as, ourselves as the body of Christ to, to be kind of like that, that's highs and lows. And in fact, that's kind of shaped the message I have this morning. We got to celebrate last Sunday the truth of God's love and the saving work of Jesus Christ. And there were people that responded. There were those who responded to salvation and giving their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Uh, there are those who responded and raised their hands and saying, Lord, I don't want to live in a place of fear anymore. I want you to settle my heart. Um, and, and, and people's lives were transformed. People's lives were touched by the power of God. I shared last Sunday, the message last Sunday was entitled, Settled. And I talked about the fact that Jesus settles the debt of our sin, and then he settles the distress of our hearts. And I'd like to this morning continue that thought, that second thought. He settles the distress of our hearts. Because I found myself dealing with that, talking to my friend who was, well, you know. What a downer, right? What a downer. And I started thinking about, well, why is it that, that in the church in America that we'll have a high point on Easter Sunday, and then the very next Sunday is like this, well, there's less people, there's fewer people. Why is that? There's got to be a reason, and it can't be just, well, slick marketing or effective follow-up or any of that. There's got to be a reason why that is the case. So Jesus came to settle the distress of our hearts. Now, let me say this. Have you found out that life can be difficult at times? Anyone? Life can be, life can be somewhat challenging and, and messy, right? Anyone? Life can be kind of messy. Life can be super, super messy. Things don't always go as planned, right? It's that I saw that going differently in my mind. You ever thought that? You're like... Man, I had that all planned out in my brain, but the reality looked very different. I, I love the pictures on Facebook or in, online, like it's the, the um, Pinterest, the nailed it, right? Like the, 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 this week I saw one, it was like a, a, a cake that looked like a sheep, and it was real pretty, and then someone tried to replicate it, and no, no, it just didn't, right? No, it saw that going differently in my mind. It didn't, it didn't work out. Life is full of heartaches and pains, disappointments, loss, failure, doubt, and fear. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. We go through and deal with stuff, all kinds of stuff. 
And isn't it interesting, on the heels of Easter, on the day where we celebrate what God has done for us and done in us, where we turn our attention to the cross and the empty grave, that right on the heels of that, the enemy wants to rob us of our joy, of our assurance, of our peace and our certainty. And so what I, I started realizing in, is that the reason that the Sunday after Easter can tend to be the lo- lowest attended Sunday is that what the enemy does post-Easter Sunday is work to undermine everything that people have just heard and received. Jesus called it the robbing of the seed, that the enemy comes to steal the seed away from the hearts of people. And so what we're facing is not a, it's not a, a time issue, it's not a commitment issue, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual issue, that the enemy comes against us to rob us of those things that matter the most. My boys are into sports, and most often I'll find them watching the updates, especially during football season. They'll watch the highlight reels, right? Well, the, the, we didn't call them reels anymore, but right, the highlight, the daily highlights like on ESPN of, hey, here's, here's the stuff that, that happened while, you know, you were at church or at work or the other games that you didn't watch, and you watch all of those highlights, and, and, uh, and see what happened. And I think sometimes what happens is the enemy wants us to replay kind of the highlight reel of our failures, of our mistakes, of our disappointments, of the things that didn't go the right way. And they just kind of play out in our minds. And while Jesus has come to settle our hearts that the enemy, who is very real, Satan is there to try and do the opposite, to unsettle to confuse, to destroy, to tear down, to rob us of the things that matter the most. I was struck this week by a verse that I read, and uh, it stood out to me. It comes from the book of, or the letter of, of Third John. Third John, there's not even a chapter designation because there's only one chapter. It's the shortest uh, bi- uh, book in the Bible, um, and it's just a short verse in that book. That, that I want to read to you this morning, but as I was reading this, I was really struck by the words. And so this is what it says. This is John writing to uh, a, a, man, a man named Gaius who is a, a leader in the church. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I love that. I love that. But here's the thing. First of all, I don't know how many of you, when you think I've got to read my Bible, you turn to 3 John, right? Because it's all the way in the back of the Bible, and it's, it's just one page, if that. And so we can kind of miss it. And then this verse, this statement is just a part of his greeting. And it'd be so easy to just read over it and not catch the significance of what the Apostle John is saying here. See, the letter of 3 John was written as an encouragement. It was a a word of encouragement to Gaius and to the church. And he was honoring them for the work that they were doing, for their hospitality. And he he just built them up. It was an an incredible word of encouragement. It starts right out in verse 2. I pray that you will prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. See, it's a greeting, but but oh, so much more. It's an amazing connection that John makes here in this verse that, and this is what stood out to me. There's an amazing connection between the front end of the verse and what he closes that verse 
with. And even though it's one verse, it's really, there's a complete thought that he presents here. What he's saying, what John is saying is this, as your soul prospers, everything else will prosper as well. As your soul prospers, just as your soul prosper, that you would prosper in all things and be in health. We've already talked about that this morning, haven't we? As your soul prospers, that you would prosper in all things and that you would be in health. It's an important distinction for us. See, because our Western context is this. I f- how I feel internally is dictated by what's happening externally. We sang those words this morning, doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be your promises to me. We need that reminder because that's so often not how we live our lives. It's the external circumstances that dictate how I feel on the inside. So we ask people, well, how are you doing? And what's the most common response? Fine. Fine or good or, right, okay. And we give kind of that, that pat answer because, hey, I, I'm, I'm maybe not feeling something on the inside because of what's happening externally in my life. And so it's an, it's an important distinction, especially for us to catch this. John is saying here, as your soul prospers, everything else will as well. Now, we're Thrive Church. It's in our name. God wants you to thrive. God's desire for you is to thrive, right? Psalm 1, that you would be like a tree planted by streams of water that, that, that produces fruit in season, and that everything you do would prosper. That's who we are. That's what, that, 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 as, a, as a congregation, that's what I believe that God is leading us into, and, and we want to see every life, young and old, thriving in Jesus Christ. But we have to change our thinking in regards to how that happens to match what John is saying here, where it stops being about the external and it starts being about what's happening in our soul. And we don't give a lot of thought to that. Why was I discouraged when I was talking to my friend about attendance on Sunday? Because as a pastor, so often I can derive my value and my effectiveness from how many people show up on Sunday morning. And it can be a high point or it can be a real bummer. But at the end of the day, my value has nothing to do with how many people show up in church. Can I just be real? It's got nothing to do with that. My value is derived from one place only, as from, from God himself. From Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. He calls me his son. He calls you his son, his daughter. And he makes promises and gives promises to you in his word that override the things that want to rob us of our joy. So as I heard, as I was having this conversation, my heart starts sinking and I start feeling kind of bummed out. Why? Because of an external thought, an external circumstance. By the way, it hadn't even happened yet. We hadn't even got to Sunday, and I'm already imagining, even this morning, I'll just be transparent this morning, standing here, facing this direction, worshiping Jesus this morning, and, and what I'm hearing is this. Hey, just take a quick look over your shoulder and see how many people are here. In the very midst of worship, 
Why? Because the enemy wants to cause the external things to affect what's happening inside of us. To unsettle what's, what God is doing. So I want to take a look a little bit at some of the words that, that John uses here. He starts out by saying, beloved. Beloved. The root word here in the Greek is the word agape. It's the agape love of God. And what John isn't saying isn't, hey, I love you, which he does. But he's not just saying, hey, guys, I love you. Um, you're, you're special to me. What he's saying is, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved by God. You are loved by me. You are loved by the church and the people who know you. You are loved. But most importantly, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And this is not a, the word and saying it in a way of beloved is, it's, it, it's intimate. It's close. It's, it's a daddy with his child wrapped up in his arms. It's the, the picture of it, the intimacy that exists between a husband and a wife. Is it weird for John to be saying this to another man? Not at all. Because in the context of the body of Christ, the body of Christ in the church, what he is saying to Gaius is, you are loved by God. Don't forget it. Don't forget that you are loved. We could stop right there. We really could. Because that is the most important thing for us to know. God loves you. Can I just tell you this morning, you are loved. Doesn't matter what you see, doesn't matter what you feel. God loves you. He then goes, goes on to say, I pray that you, I pray that you may. The opportunity to pray for people is such a blessing. You might be thinking, well, we've heard already like four times during this service that people want to pray with me. Yes, because we really do. We really do. We don't, it's, it's one of those parts of church where like, where you're supposed to pray for me. No, not at all. We get to pray for each other. We get, we get emails and phone calls all throughout the week. People going, hey, this is going on in my life. Could someone please pray? And those get passed onto our prayer team. Christy will get those notifications and she sends out an email right away. And there's a network of people that are ready to pray for you in this church. And I know that all throughout the week that God is opening opportunities for us to pray for each other. In fact, I would say this as a point of coaching for us as a church. As you go about your days, as you encounter people uh, in the workplace, as you encounter people in your community, what, you know, with, on the sports field, whatever it is. If someone shares with you they're having a bad day or a rough week, would you be so bold as just to say, hey, could I pray for you? Now, we, and, and there might be those who are thinking, well, in my workplace, right? Don't walk in fear. Don't walk in fear. Walk in the boldness and the power of God because he wants to express his love to people through you. And the easiest way to do that is say, hey, could I pray for you? You know what they can say? No. <laughs> but most of the time, you know what people say? Yes. 
fact, you've got to be a pretty hardcore atheist when someone asks you if you could pray with them or pray. You don't have to necessarily even pray. Hey, I'll be praying for you. Is that okay if I be praying for you about that? And just kind of gauge that circumstance. But as you do, you're going to find most people will go, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Please. John says to, Ga- to Gaius, I pray that you may. I'm praying for you. I love you, and because I love you, I'm praying for you. I'm standing with you. I'm contending for you. I want to bring encouragement into your life. The opportunity to pray for others is a blessing. By the way, we're continuing with fasting and prayer starting Tuesday night after dinner and into Wednesday uh, uh, at dinner time. As a church, I'm asking that we would set aside that time to fast and pray. That we would seek the Lord together as a church. We're just going to continue doing that. There's no end date. We're just going to, this is just our, it's going to be our norm. Now, if you're not able to join us during that time, that's fine. But I would say find a time during the week to pray. There is something powerful about us coming together as a church, knowing that, that, that together as a church family, we're committing ourselves to seeking the Lord and driving back the darkness in our community on our knees. To be able to pray for people we know and pray, pray for people we've never met, that we would pray. He goes on to say that you would prosper in all things. This is not a statement of wishful thinking. This is a statement of promise. That God would cause you to prosper in all things. You know what all means? All. Where, do, where does God want you to prosper? In every aspect of your life. Relationally, absolutely. Physically, yes. Financially, yes. Right? Whatever you can think of, it's encompassed and covered by all. That you would prosper in all things. That we would thrive. See, John knows God's heart towards his people. He knows his heart towards people. That God wants to prosper us, to bless us in all things. And then he goes on to say that you would be in health. You know that God cares about your health. He cares about what's happening in your body physically. He is your healer, but he's not just the healer physically. He heals relationships. He heals brokenness, emotions that are broken. He heals situations that seem desperate and without hope. He brings healing even in those places. He is our healer. Again, if you have any physical need, if you need a touch of healing by the Lord this morning, please, please give us the opportunity, the privilege to be able to pray with you for healing. By the way, I got to pray with someone last week who was uh, battling a hernia. Uh, they they, they got, received prayer in a couple of points. Different people last Sunday um, could barely walk. And the report, I got the report this morning by Friday, they were jumping up and down with no problem whatsoever. God is healing his people. So make, that, make, take, take, make the most of the opportunity this morning and let's, let's pray for each other. And then he says, and this is the key, just as your soul prospers. See, the, the previous statements and everything that preceded it is really an overflow of what's happening in the soul. So let me ask you this. What does a prospering soul look like? Have you thought about that? What does a prospering soul look like? If I, if I were to, to ask you, hey, is your soul prospering? Would you know how to answer that question? I, I, I believe that in the church today that we really don't have a context for that. We don't really talk about that. Well, my, my soul needs to prosper. 
Maybe I prosper on the outside, but prospering in my soul. I want to share a story this morning that will help answer that question a little bit. The title of the message this morning is, It Is Well. It Is Well. And I borrowed that title from the the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It Is Well With My Soul. I want to share a little of the backstory. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. It's a powerful story of where that song, where that hymn came from. It was written in the late 1800s by a man named Horatio Spafford. And he was not a worship leader at his church. Um, he, he was not a pastor. He was a lawyer and a businessman in Chicago. And in the late the 1870s, he suffered a series of devastating losses. First thing that happened to him was that his son, age two, passed away. Right on the heels of that, the Chicago fire in 1871 ruined him financially. He was a property owner in addition to being a lawyer. His business interests were mainly concerned with property, and he lost almost everything in the fires in Chicago in 1981. In 1873, as he was just kind of collecting his life and trying to kind of settle everything, he planned with his family, his wife and his four daughters, a trip to Europe. And back in those days, they didn't hop on a flight at JFK or O'Hare, Chicago. Um, But they got on a a boat, a ship, and sailed across the Atlantic. At the last minute, though, because of some zoning issues with the city in Chicago in response to the fire, he was delayed, and so his wife and daughters went ahead of him on that ship. That ship had a collision at sea. It crashed into another ship, and it sank very rapidly And in that wreck, all four of his daughters died. In fact, his wife, once arriving in Europe, sent him a telegram. And the words, two words, saved alone. His wife was the only one who survived. So he's had the loss of his son, the loss of almost all of his money. He's at odds with the city. And now this shipwreck and his daughters die. That's a bad day, right? He gets on a ship to cross the Atlantic to meet his wife, and when he gets to the place, and he asks the captain of that ship, when I get to the place, we're close to the vicinity of where my daughters lost, lost their lives, would you tell me? And so he did, and it's at that moment, at that place in the Atlantic that he wrote, it is well with my soul. I want to read the words to you. I was thinking about playing the song and and playing the music, but I feel like here's what I'd like you to do. Close your eyes and just listen. Listen to the words. Knowing where Horatio was coming from, what the circumstances of his life was, the distress that he was in, listen to what he penned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate 
and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bless of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed hope, a blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. A song in the night, O my soul. Amazing. Amazing. That's a prospering soul. See, when pressed and under, the, under pressure and everything roiling around him, falling apart, the loss of his children, the agony of defeat, in that moment what comes out of Horatio Spafford is, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is a soul that is prospering. There's no hint of why God. There's no hint of do you love me. There's no hint of uh, how, how can a loving God let these kind of things happen. Now no doubt he was mourning for his children. But under pressure in this moment where everything seemed the bleakest, when he opened his mouth to praise God, what came out was praise. And that statement, it is well with my soul. You know what's amazing is the story doesn't end there. He joins his wife. They would later on have three more children. He has another son and two more daughters. His son, that second son, died of scarlet fever. Then his church kicked him out because they figured if someone was having so much, if there was so much problems, if there was so much agony in his life that God must have been judging him. It was God's judgment against him and they said, we don't want anything to do with you. And so they kicked him out of the church. And so this man... And his wife started a ministry that would ultimately end up in what is now Israel in Jerusalem. And they spent the latter years of their life ministering to and feeding the poor and the destitute and those who were not loved and not cared for, especially in the church. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Here's what I know. God doesn't diminish or not care about the agony we face, the struggles, the burdens, the toil, the, the things that come against us. He cares very deeply. But really, the question is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of the Lord, as someone who has committed their lives to Him, received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we no longer need to live in a place of defeat. 
but it requires that we attend to our soul. That we turn the focus from what's happening externally and start saying, God, what are you doing? You hear this in this hymn. That he celebrates the fact that his sin was nailed to the cross and that he bears it no more. My sin not in part, but the whole. Why does that matter? Because he had a perspective of eternity that allowed his soul to be at rest. I'll see my daughters again. I'll see my daughters again. I've been in situations where people have lost family members or lost a child. And the worst thing you can say to someone is, well, they're with, they're with Jesus and you'll see them again. Because it doesn't help you in the moment. But when it's your own soul saying, I'll see my daughters again. I'll see my sons again. That my eternity and my, perspe- my, my perspective is eternal. I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back. Because my soul rests in him, not in the things and the circumstances of this world. Absolutely amazing. John 10, verse 7 through 10, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus here is talking about your soul. He's talking about living a life that prospers, a soul that prospers. And as John says in his letter, as your soul prospers, that your health will prosper and everything else will prosper as well. But the priority is what is God doing on the inside and what has he done on the inside? By the way, I, the, the, the goal here this morning was to be an encouragement. You might, might be going, well, that's kind of a, that story's a real bummer. It's a real downer. But there's a message of hope that's woven into it that's so critical for us. You see, because what happens is we go from mountaintop experiences where we go, look what God did. Easter was amazing. Elijah on Mount Carmel. I confronted the sin in the land. I confronted the, the Baals and, the, and, the, and the, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah and all of that. And God's fire fell from heaven and burned up the offering and, and, and consumed the water and everything. And the momentous day for Elijah in the land. And the very next day, he is in the depths of despair. We can go from highs to lows. And what we have to do is guard our hearts in Christ. The Bible tells us, Paul writes that that Jesus has saved us and he has given us his spirit as a seal, that he has sealed us. Where's the hope, the promise of Jesus Christ? That we have been set apart, that we belong to him. And no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we face in this life, we belong to him. And as we grow in that as we focus on that as we know that there's a deep knowing that takes hold in our lives that says it doesn't matter what happens on the outside doesn't matter what I see doesn't matter what I feel my hope will be your promises to me so I'd like to finish this morning with a promise to you from the book of Romans Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 says this I am convinced that neither death nor life 
Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are loved. It is His promise to you. It cannot be taken from you. You are loved. My prayer, church, is that your soul would prosper. And as your soul prospers, that everything else would prosper as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to close with worship this morning. Our, our prayer team will be available. And during this, this song, as we, as we worship the Lord together, If you're finding your heart stirred, maybe you're walking through a storm. Maybe things have not gone the way you expected they would or the way you hope they they would. Maybe you're facing disappointment. Maybe that highlight reel just keeps going over and over and over. And you just need your soul to be encouraged today. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to worship with you. So make the most of that. Make the most of that opportunity to pray with someone today. And we stand together this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your desire is that our souls would prosper. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.